This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Good to be together and so much to cover. In a few moments, uh, we will have a visit with Michael Volpe, our old friend who uh, has done so much investigative reporting and investigative uh, research about what goes on in our family courts and in various court systems. He's got a story he wants to relay. Uh, I always am, I always learn something from him. I can't say I always enjoy it because um, he can also be, uh, it's challenging. A lot of the stuff is really tough, terrible stuff, uh, children and divorce and problems. But uh, we'll hear from Michael Volpe and uh, talk about his Substack. Also, we'll catch up with Garrett Ziegler. Garrett Ziegler, of course, is the founder of Marco Polo. Marco Polo is a... Um, research a nonprofit research entity that started um uh, about two years ago now if you go to marco polo uh org, marco polo org, you can see all the different things they do but one of the reasons i wanted to talk with garrett was for months and months and months marco polo this nonprofit research group has uh been um publishing or exposing the biden laptop and all its details and they've been going into into in fact they haven't been going into analysis at all they've just been laying it out there so they put up the um the t- uh emails and texts hundreds of thousands of pages of texts and emails and they've also gone ahead and um put up all the photos and all and in the last 48 hours as the Hunter Biden uh plea agreement uh, fell apart here's the characteristic that I want you to think about a nonprofit marcopolousa.org is calling for transparency, saying, hey, show us what this all is. Show us what this means. The other side of this equation is what? Hiding? Secret deals? It looks like the Department of Justice was about to do a secret deal with Hunter Biden, which now fell apart, and the plea deal would have been, in some way, it would have been pleading guilty to a couple things, but leaving the rest of it to uh, be innocent of and, and to be immune from. But Ongoing investigations so that the answer to the press would be, oh, sorry, we can't talk about that is an ongoing investigation, which is a standard tr- uh, ploy. For example, um, on the Hunter, bo- excuse me, on the um, pipe bomb, the pipe bomb of January 5th and 6th, um, you ask the FBI for an update. They won't give you their update will be sorry, ongoing investigation. And it feels at this point in our history like ongoing investigation is a way to say we're keeping it secret. So we'll we'll talk uh, about that with Garrett Zigo, the founder of Marco Polo, uh, MarcoPoloUSA.org. All right. But before we get to that, what you need to know, I woke up uh, at the crack of dawn on Thursday morning. And by the time I had been awake for a half an hour, I was deeply, deeply disturbed and concerned. Now, what had I seen? I was only reading my emails. I wasn't even on the Internet. I was reading my emails, and in the middle of the night, I get an email update from Politico. I've told you, if you want to know what the left thinks, you read Politico. If you want to know what the what I would call the intellectual left is thinking, that's Politico. They're not dumb. They're smart, sophisticated, but they're in the tank for the left. Some of the reporters are a little bit more honest, but in general, that's where they are. Well, they send out an email. The email goes out at probably eight o'clock in the morning in Brussels, uh, in Europe at the EU, but it goes out uh, to me, gets in my email box always at two or three in the morning. I can't remember exactly when. And so when I get up, it's one of the first emails I see. This email included a description that I had not seen of the Europeans being really excited. They were really excited. The European Union folks were really happy. They woke up really happy. They were excited because, well, because Joe Biden had directed 
the United States to turn over evidence to the International Criminal Court. The International Criminal Court is a uh, a, a extra sovereign, extra constitutional court that is meant to be prosecuting based on international norms. And the American policy has been to not join because we know international organizations end up being run by non-Americans and end up doing things against our interest. And so it's been consistent. In fact, the Pentagon recommended against working with the International Criminal Court on this very question, and Joe Biden overruled them. So they're celebrating in Europe. They're celebrating in Europe. Now, the specifics of this one are that Biden ordered the uh, all ordered the government. Joe Biden, President Biden, ordered his government to share evidence of Russian conduct in the war with the International Criminal Court. But that's not what matters. What matters is for me to tell you, and what you need to know is, we're watching the transformation of this country, this nation, by this government on fundamental things. I mean, the International Criminal Court, if there becomes a criminal court that can try to enforce judgments against America, you will be trying, the court will be trying every American general, every American admiral, every American senator. Why wouldn't they? Because when we act in our interest, it's going to be against the interest of others. And this is a terrible idea. And so the, uh, the the notion that Europe is celebrating over Biden's conduct and Americans aren't even noticing, I haven't seen coverage of this. What you need to know is this is the biggest capitulation to the international community because Americans in our very core are men and women who believe that there should be rules, tend to be a people of the book, so you believe that there's an almighty power and therefore there are almighty truths, but we are the people, we are people of the book, but people of the law. Our system, even though it's being frayed by, you know, fake news and terrible leadership, our system relies on things like patents and contract law and stability and due process. This is the problem with the rampant lawfare where one group of people is 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 facing a sweetheart deal, or not even a sweetheart deal, a secret, hidden, Hunter Biden deal. And meanwhile, three miles away in downtown Washington, D.C., a 19-year-old kid, young man, was sentenced to a year in prison for being at January 6th. And he was sentenced for, he was charged with two felonies because they were trying to make an example of him because they said it was such a bad set of events. So you're watching this fraying that's true but fundamentally americans say well you know what let's work by let's play by the rules let's have a set of rules let's get the system going and if it becomes quote unquote normal for the american government to make itself subservient it's a little bit strong but but uh, uh uh you know um under the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court, which can then can the International Criminal Court subpoena people? The international community wants abortion on demand. They want a human right to be, include abortion. Could you have the International Criminal Court charge an American elected official, an American uh, cabinet secretary for crimes against the International Criminal Code because they want abortion on demand? They think it's a fundamental right and we don't. And that's just one example. You, if you don't think that this is a major shift, you're not paying attention. 
And for decades and decades, people like the late Phyllis Schlafly and others argued and clearly and won that we did not want to be tied up to the International Criminal Court. We did not want to make ourselves and weaken our sovereignties and make ourselves subservient and, 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 and at risk to the criminal court, International Criminal Court. The, you know, there was a debate and, and, and there was a ongoing uh, conversation for, I don't know, a few years, maybe longer than that, actually, where some people were saying we should quote in our legal decisions, the Supreme Court and others should rely on international judgments. You know, what does the Malta Supreme Court say? What does the, uh, the, um, you know, the, the, uh, appeals court, uh, in Germany say? We can cite them for, for our, and, and the, and guys like Scalia, the late Justice Scalia and others said, look, if you want to talk about them, Fine, but don't cite them as as reference for case law. Don't try to pull into our system other legal systems and other legal cases because they're coming out of a different set of factors. They're not coming out of the Constitution. They're not coming out of our rule of law. So this should be a major, major a headline that Joe Biden is giving away yet again our sovereignty. He's got the border wide open where the rule of law is being flaunted. Being flouted is a better word, flouted. And that's happening. He's go, he's deciding to forgive student loans just at the stroke of a pen, and that was struck down because it was lawless. But now he's signing us up to make our nation, our people, subject to the International Criminal Court. This is a terrible idea. And it's, again, it's not just uh, the, um, the notion that uh, oh, we disagree on what uh, on some aspect of this or that. No, it's the idea of conditioning us to accept this as a way to operate. We should resist it. We should have resisted it. The Pentagon told him. The Pentagon recommended that Biden not do this. And and there's two. I, I can only. I, here's the thing. I think some people will say, "Oh well, he's he's turning over to the International Criminal Court the Russia, Russia, Russia stuff, so we can really get on Russia because they're bad guys." Well, I, I, we have a debate about that, but that's not that's not what I think. I think the people in this administration want to take this country away from sovereign America any way they can. They actually subscribe to the values, the internationalist values that they see in the International Criminal Court. It's a disaster. And that's what you need to know. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I was just talking offline. I tell Garrett, I tell people all the time, Garrett Ziegler is our next guest. He's the founder and the head of the Marco Polo USA. If you go to MarcoPoloUSA.org, they're a nonprofit research group that uh, has been shining a light, uh, focusing on where the corruption is and how the corruption is not. Corruption is not just for fun. Corruption is to make someone behave differently, which is in we call blackmail. And so Marco Polo has done a great job. But we were talking off offline about how sometimes... You know, you get credit. Sometimes you don't. The late Phyllis Schlafly, who Garrett uh, knew and I worked for, you know, she used to get some credit sometimes. Well, Garrett Ziegler and his crew have for, I don't know, a year plus had a document on the Internet as well as published that is the Biden laptop. And it continued to say to people, hey, 
hey, you know, by the way, you're going to have a plea deal. Um, we we went through the laptop and there's and you'll tell correct me, 400 and something number of crimes based on the facts shown, not based on, you know, conjecture. These are these are what happened according to their own writing and photographs. And over time, I think, Garrett, you deserve a ton of credit for the unraveling of the Biden, uh, the Hunter Biden sweetheart secret uh, deal. So congratulations, even if maybe no one else is congratulating you. Well, thank you very much. In the short term, we wrote a letter to the judge on the 21st. That's uh, almost a week ago. So last Friday and Robert Costello and Rudy Giuliani signed on to the letter with me that I wrote. And it's an ex parte. It wasn't filed as an amicus brief like the Heritage Foundation did. I really support them on that effort. And right. we can talk about that uh, a little bit because Hunter's attorneys tried to get that struck from the docket. Right. And there was actually a big brouhaha around that. But basically, this letter, which is on our website and perhaps you could put in the description yep. show, it is a five pager and it goes through the allegations by the whistleblowers themselves. So this is, like you said, not conjecture. We laid out to the judge all of the federal statutes and prosecutorial misconduct that if what the whistleblower said was true uh, should throw cold water on the plea deal set aside everything that was brought up about yesterday with the diversion agreement referring to the plea agreement although the diversion agreement's not supposed to be signed by the judge setting everything aside they the the judge should be aware that this was a really atypical investigation and i don't know where to start there's so much there's such a cornucopia of sin it's hard to pick which topic to start on first do you go with the dirty prosecutors under david weiss who basically told them told the investigators the irs guys that they can't ask about the big guy they can't ask about joey i mean never in my life did i expect to be defending some of the line agents from the irs for god's sakes but <laughs> this is this is a cover up operation and what they were wanting to do yesterday like you said offline was they wanted they wanted both the cake uh and to be and able hide to, it and yeah. hide it too the cake and hide it too they wanted they wanted it all and then they are going to hide it all that was yeah, the, they, that wanted was the a, trick. they wanted a global plea agreement yeah but they also wanted to say that they were uh, actively investigating hunters still so they couldn't answer questions about it right. and so what we have is a short-term win obviously the long-term win is justice i.e a, a, a real Justice in this scenario, because this gets lost, and this is this is my um, take based on, uh, like like you said, primary source evidence of 459 violations. A ju- justice would require about like a 40 count federal indictment of FARA m- uh, money laundering and sex trafficking. That is that is what actual justice would be. But in the short term. This is better than the alternative, which is just the judge rubber stamping it. So she's kicked the can for a month. She uh, recognizes that this has never happened before. She, I went through the 110-page transcript, we were, which we were the only ones to request and post online yesterday from the hearing. She asked the prosecutor four different times if there's any if there's ever been any precedent for this, and he said no. So this is a truly unprecedented deal. And what do I mean by that, the government and the defense counsel for Hunter were putting together a quote unquote diversion agreement, but the diversion agreement alluded to the plea agreement, and yet the diversion agreement doesn't have a place for the judge to sign. And so this is not how it works. If they wanted to uh get if they wanted to let Hunter off on the gun charge, they should have put it in the original information, which would have been part of the plea agreement. And right. so they made it into two different cases and it gets technical, but the the long and short of it is 
is they wanted Hunter to get off scot. I'm I'm talking both parties here, right? The, the both parties, but I mean the prosecution and Hunter's team. The public thinks they're on different teams, and you and I see it differently. We see the judge on one side, i.e., at least trying to get to the truth, even if she's not honorable herself. She can't sign off on something that is unconstitutional, and, uh, and we see on the other side Hunter's team and the government working in cahoots. Basically playing a WWE wrestling match. Yeah, it, 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 it's it's how we're talking with Garrett Siegler again, Marco Polo, uh, USA.org. Um, Garrett, before I get, I don't mind doing it on air. Where on the website? Where's that letter? I'm not seeing it right now, and I want to go link to it. If I, I'm looking at Marco Polo, USA.org. Do you want me to go through to the Biden laptop? Is it better to be on? Uh, uh, yeah, Biden laptop, but that one specifically is uh, the, the URL is on our Substack piece. Okay, okay, all right, good. Or if if you're very technical, you can simply uh, if, if if somebody wants to type it in manually, they can do markupolusa.org uh, slash PDF slash Dear Judge Noranka. But our Substack is it's free to read. It's right okay. there. Right, it's right, Marco gotcha. Polo and on Twitter, Marco Polo 501c3. Yep, yep. I see it now. I got you. I got it. Okay. All right. So, and I'll link to all that. Um, but you know, Garrett, one of the things I was going to say, I thought you were going to go to as, as, and to hear you talk about it and read the, the book again, Marco Polo USA.org. You can go and you can find it. And, and, uh, Biden laptop, uh, is a Biden laptop media.com is one of them and Biden laptop book.com. Is that the other one? Uh, just bidenlaptopemails.com. Oh, emails. All the emails from the device. Right, right. Okay. So, but you know, one of the things the tagline on Marco Polo USA is a nonprofit research group exposing corruption and blackmail. The mm-hmm. key here is that these are not just people having trouble. Like if you and I had a buddy from high school or college who had trouble in his life and he was doing things wrong, we'd be pretty upset for him and we we might want to hold him accountable. The, the point here is that we have a massive corruption problem and uh, almost everything in public life right now that Joe Biden is doing looks like it was something that could be compromised by this. The money came from Ukraine. Some of it came from China. Some of the decisions. I mean, it's a it's a blackmail problem, right? That's the other part of this. Yes, we are not. Our motive is not to embarrass people who, you know, get drunk one night and, and take stupid pictures. That's not what we're about. We're, we're about things that affect uh, government officials primarily. And so the reason why Hunter's degeneracy matters is not just because, you know, we're boogeymen on the right making fun of some dude. It's because it opens his family up, who by definition is the most powerful f- family on planet Earth, at least in the United States. Some would say that Xi and Putin have uh, comparable power. But nevertheless, the U.S. family with the most power on our side of the pond has material out there that is uh, compromising in a in the superlative it is it is hard to describe the level of degeneracy uh, and not just degeneracy but more importantly the the level of foreign financial entanglements that they have and that was talked about yesterday in the plea deal the judge made him recite you got 1.5 from the chai comps now hunter didn't put it this way he called it a chinese energy conglomerate a private equity fund in china there's no such thing as private equity in china right <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> yeah. But but she made him go through it. And so 
to all your listeners, yesterday was a tentative win. Obviously, we're going to be uh, writing a, another letter to her attaching pictures of Hunter Biden's attorney, Kevin Morris, uh, smoking a huge bong on his porch. And because she brought up yesterday that if uh, Hunter can't even smoke weed uh, because it's a federal crime, it doesn't matter what happens in California. So we're going to be writing to the judge asking for a hair follicle test to be taken because they've provided zero evidence that Hunter is actually clean. He testified to the judge yesterday that he has been. But these guys lie like you and I breathe. I know this for a fact, Ed, because I sat in a room with these people for nine hours. I was deposed by Hunter Biden's attorney for nine hours because I was a witness in his child support case. They they lie effortlessly. And the judge is starting to figure that out with regard to this other fiasco where they tried to get uh, an amicus brief struck from the docket. And the judge asked them to submit an affidavit about how they were uh, not misrepresenting the court. Right, right. Yeah, so, that was an amazing. That's an amazing. Also, was on you and I talking offline. That was unprecedented too. I mean, you do that kind of thing to a federal judge, um, you're you're taking your uh, legal life in your own hands. So, <laughs> staff attorney at Latham was right. um basically trying to catfish the assistant clerk. Yeah, in the amazing. Of yeah, amazing. All right, Garrett, unfortunately, I'm out of time. Garrett Ziegler, uh, I encourage everyone, get over to MarcoPoloUSA.org, ch- check his stuff out, link through, click through the Substack I'll put up there. It's extraordinary amount of information. It's not going away. We'll have you back again, Garrett. I got to run, unfortunately, on a, on, a, on a hard deadline. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Uh, my friend Michael Volpe uh, pinged me, I think it was this morning, could have been yesterday evening, and said, hey, check this one out, this story uh, segment. Let's talk about it. And uh, and we're talking, in this case, uh, he's got a history himself about four years ago, somewhere around there. He, Michael Volpe wrote a piece about what was going on in Connecticut. Uh, Michael Volpe, of course, is an investigative reporter. His, his uh, Substack, which has lots of great uh, stuff and insight and investigation, is Michael Volpe investigates um you can uh, check that out i'll put it up on uh on my social media it's michaelvolpe.substack.com all right michael so connecticut is a mess is that the <laughs> is that the best way to say it? but now you're, you're you're seeing some things happening in present day connecticut and you're getting a little bit more of a of a, a picture here or maybe there's more to tell uh tell us about it please all right well connecticut is definitely a mess there's a book called the worst interest of the child by Keith Harmon Snow, where he documented over 70 cases, and that was like almost 10 years ago. There's been a lot that's happened since, but specifically, very recently, uh, a guy named Paul Boyne, who is just a blatant racist, a blatant anti-Semite, a bunch of other things. He not only lost custody of his kids, but he used to make six figures. Just his entire life was destroyed by the divorce. And I think that's what made him bitter. He probably wasn't a racist and an anti-Semite before all this happened. But he started a blog called the Family Court Circus. And as I said, there there's some very nasty language on there, but the Connecticut authorities recently arrested him in Virginia, where he lives with his parents. They're looking to extradite him. They call it cyber stalking. And it's basically, he's writing nasty things about judges. There is some language where he suggests that they should be killed or, or if they keep going like this, some angry litigant will shoot them. But nothing even comes close to rising to a crime. They are absolutely, they're criminalizing his speech. They are criminalizing free speech. 
abhorrent speech, but that's the strength of our country, supposedly, that the really abhorrent speech, we let neo-Nazis rally, go watch the movie Skokie. We we let people with abhorrent beliefs speak publicly, and this guy is one of them, and now they've got him sitting in a jail in Virginia, cyberstock, and they could put him in jail for a decade or more, and this isn't new. Uh, in 2019, at the Daily Caller, I wrote about a guy named Ted Tapier, who also had a Connecticut custody case. He lost custody of his kids very unfairly, and he was in an email chain, is I guess the best way to describe it, and he was talking with his friends, and at one point, he describes his judge's house, and he says, the backyard is perfect for a rifle of this type, but you mm. could shoot her from there. In an email to his friends, and one of his friends obviously wasn't his friend, copied the email, sent it to one person. And by the time the judge got it, she got a screenshot of the email. He was not only arrested and convicted, he spent two and a half years in jail for this email that he wrote to his friends. So if you think Paul's not going to jail, you don't know the history of Connecticut. So, so, so Michael, um, is this, um, is this the, is this a growing problem of, what uh of basically um criminalizing hate speech, speech. right but it's speech. also is it, it speech in general okay that's fair yeah uh, is it mm-hmm. is it happening around the judicial system is that is that the excuse uh, not, that's not fair is that the uh, rash, uh, rationale they're giving yes Ju- judges they hold a special place in society you know i think we talked about this case but angela freiner out of missouri was arrested for writing an email to her judge and in the email at one point she said if you don't give me my my daughter back there will be consequences and that there will be consequences was enough to get her arrested they did eventually drop the charges but only in part because there was a lot of media attention drawn to it i think they didn't expect media attention in that case I, the book I wrote many years ago called Bully to Death, Chris Mackney's Kafkaesque Divorce, he spent 60 days in jail because he contributed to a Wikipedia page. His ex-father-in-law uh, had hired a hitman. His name was Charles Harrelson, Woody Harrelson's father. And so he added a little bit about his father-in-law and they put him in jail. It gets complicated that they claimed a violation of a court order. I worked with a guy named Ronald Pierce, who he was at a rally for fathers, and he talked about his case. And his ex-wife saw the the rally and filed for a protective order and basically banished him from speaking about their case for a year or more. And he didn't even put it on YouTube, but somebody put his speech on YouTube and she called it harassment. You absolutely see this. Uh, so I mean, Michael, I, Michael is, is, is so in a hundred years ago, if you and I were frustrated about the situation and we were uh, we, knowing our respective ethnic backgrounds or something, we'd be in a pub somewhere and we'd we'd say, you know, so-and-so I can't believe it. And uh, <laughs> we're, we're, did they try at points in American history to enforce uh, speech crimes uh, for for those kinds of things and and lost or is this a progression or where do you think we are in this? Uh, I they they always have right. You know you know the famous uh, you can't yell fire in a crowded yeah. theater. Well yep. you know that was Oliver Wendell Holmes. He was referring to socialists who were passing out flyers against the world first world war. And, right. and the, he wanted to criminalize. He didn't want. He was a U.S. Supreme Court justice. He had the power to criminalize speech. And look, Holmes eventually said I, I was wrong. And it, he was very wrong to make the comparison between passing out these flyers against the First World War and yelling fire in a crowded theater. Uh, John Adams, the Seditious Act. We, we've seen this throughout history. Look, the, 
the 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 uh, anarchist almost never had speech it was because it was abhorrent. We I don't know how long this has been going on strictly with these like family court people, but right. definitely judges enjoy this special place that you if you said this about a regular person, they, they would not be able to get you arrested. I don't think they'd be able to do anything, but they are essentially treating people who are upset, angry and, and writing hateful things or it, it really Paul, what Paul Boyne is doing at the family. It is political speech. He's basically saying you're so tyrannical, expect to have what happens to you happen to all tyrants. And you would think in this country that he has the right to say that, but you would be wrong because he is sitting in a Virginia jail. They are waiting to extradite him. They were going to charge him with cyber stalking. As I said, in Ted's case, he said it in an email. And they claimed it was a threat to her, even though the she and by the way, his judge, I can't remember the judge's name, but she wasn't on the email. She didn't even get the email directly. She got a screenshot of the email. And that was enough to convict him. I think he spent two and a half years in jail. Uh, so I, you definitely see this. We, we've we never been perfect as right. far as free speech. Right. But this is another example. Uh, of um, Michael Volpe is our guest. Michael Volpe's uh, investigate. Michael Volpe investigates is his sub stack. Uh, you can get it. Uh, uh, Michael, I love doing this with you because we have so many of these conversations. But you get to this point and I say, OK, what do we do to fix it? I mean, what do you, what do you, besides, you know, your, your, your role is shining a light on this and getting people talking, but what are the, what are the possibilities of fixing this? How would we do it? Right. You know, the, the best I can tell you, you, you've got to get some of this stuff to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court has to rule in favor of the First Amendment. Either that or, or you got to get legislation passed that says that this is not a First Amendment violation. The other thing is, and I wish I remembered the DA who's doing this, these DAs do this because they don't think that they're going to get called out. You got to call out the DAs who are doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was done by a district attorney. I think it's New Haven in Connecticut. They don't face punishment. You guys are voting people like this in. This ultimately starts in a law enforcement agency. And somewhere at the top is someone who is elected. And if you are voting to elect people like this, then your commitment to the First Amendment is not strong. It's an interesting uh, problem. I mean, you, you watch a lot of these conversations about censorship that are happening because of big tech and uh, and mm-hmm. all. And that's um, this uh, well, is a lot different. Yeah, it's a lot it's different. Well, this is concretely I hate to say it, this is it, losing your uh, big tech um, or your social media voice is a problem. I see it. But um, jail time uh, right. for email is a different mm-hmm. category completely and has a different, um, you know, for the phrases for a, a phrase that's used in this uh, field has a chilling, a certain chilling effect. You, you get jail time for an email. That's going to have a right. chilling effect different than if you're uh, shadow banned on Twitter. You know, that's uh, that's. I, I agree. And, and what, what's happening in Connecticut is there are there's a lot of criticism of that judiciary. Yeah. Not by the way. And, and, and one of the biggest problems with this, Paul Boyne's case has been covered. Hartford Current, Connecticut Mirror, all of the Connecticut newspapers. What you read is he's charged with cyber stalking. They don't mention the history. Right, they what it even, is. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah, don't yeah. even say exactly what huh. he's done. Yeah. All you read is all oh, this bad so, guy. That sounds just, terrible, right? Once you hear right. that word, right, right, Michael. I'm out. Of, I'm out of time. I'm sorry. I got to go, Michael Volpe. I, I hit a hard stop, uh, Michael. Michael Volpe, Substack, uh, extraordinary uh, research investigator, always thoughtful and helps me think these things through. So uh, check it out. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. 
This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Long before betraying women by endorsing the farce that men can become women, President Joe Biden had been spending his political career riding on the skirt tails of women to advance his political agenda. While Biden certainly has nothing good to show from his 40-plus years in federal government prior to taking over the White House, he is perhaps best known for being the primary Senate sponsor of the Violence Against Women Act, or VAWA. Much like the supposed Equal Rights Amendment and the Affordable Care Act, the real intention of the bill is far different from the title it was given. Phyllis Schlafly often referred to VAWA as a boondoggle, and for good reason. The sweet-sounding piece of legislation amounted to a billion dollars per year flowing into the feminist coffers, and that was when a billion dollars was a lot of money from the federal government. It's no wonder Phyllis called Senator Joe Biden the radical feminist good buddy. Biden also worked to give unfettered access to free lawyers for women who want to make domestic violence accusations, while also giving these lawyers unfettered access to piles of government cash. No one was better at summing up this boondoggle than Phyllis Schlafly was. And she said, all this domestic violence legislation is based on the feminist myth that men are naturally batterers, that women are naturally victims of the oppressive patriarchal society, and that women's accusations should be believed regardless of evidence. Yet 15 years after Phyllis Schlafly wrote those immortal words, American politicians can't decide whether men are evil oppressors or just figments of our imagination. Yet feminists still want to punish boys and men just for fulfilling the role they naturally occupy as protectors. The myth of toxic masculinity has no more truth to it now than it did when Joe Biden first went to Washington (laughs) as dinosaurs roamed the earth. Our laws should not pit men against women. They should promote the natural bonds of marriage and family, which are the greatest force for women's equality in human history. Phyllis Schlafly knew this to be true, and today's conservatives should follow her lead. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's no secret that globalists are bent on destroying Western culture. Whether the threat comes from inside or outside our borders, America must be protected from cultural Marxism and those who would deny American sovereignty. We're seeking your insight at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And um, let us visit. I, I, I need to come up with a, a, a theme uh, that I can repeat, a sort of title for this segment and the segment is one that I, I find myself coming back to. It's when it's when certain party uh, party um, chiefs, party leaders uh, try to direct their uh, faithful in what to believe. And they make it sound like you have to do this. Now, I'm most familiar with this when it comes to Republicans, because I, I was, you know, was a Republican Party chairman and and served on the Republican National Committee. But you can see it in the Democrats. But the, what I mean by is every time there is a. Um, an effort to move people 
in a political party in a direction. You'll have people with experience and they'll say, oh, let me tell you, you must take this position or it will be really bad, really bad for your side politically. So, for example, um, it used to be the Republican Party would say, oh, you have to be for free trade. Free trade is what maximizes the economy working. It maximizes the influence of markets, blah, blah, blah. You know, these are the kinds of things. And so one of the very um, most one of the most famous uh, areas, topics of policy where this happens is when Republican Party chieftains, establishment folks, you can call them rhinos if you want, start to lecture conservatives about the so-called social issues. Oh, you can't talk about LGBT issues because you'll alienate young voters. You'll alienate this voter. You'll alienate suburban moms, whatever it is. And one of the most famous is abortion, where every couple of years we have moderate Republicans who lecture conservatives and say, ho, ho, you just cannot put yourself in a position where you are hardline on abortion. You will lose voters. You'll never get elected. Suburban women, that's what they say. Suburban women will be just running for the hills. And so we are. So we find ourselves uh, today when a so-called prominent, I think mostly self-declared, prominent Republican wrote a lengthy piece in the magazine section of Politico. And the author's name is Jamie Corley, and she's described as a former Republican press secretary in the U.S. Senate and U.S. House of Representatives, a a fifth generation Missourian. She says she lives in St. Louis or this is how she's described. Now, one quick thing. Jamie Corley is a former Republican press secretary uh, in the U.S. Senate and U.S. House. Does that mean she's a former Republican? Does that mean she's a Republican press secretary or does it mean she's a former press secretary who worked for Republican elected officials in the U.S. House and U.S. Senate? I think that's what they mean. But man alive already, you have um, terrible writing uh, and uh, terrible grammar coming out of Politico. But here we are. And so Jamie Corley goes on in lectures and says, ho, ho, well, I'll tell you what's a favor. After Roe v. Wade was reversed, it turns out that everybody is now doing abortion by telemedicine and by abortion pills by mail. And that's really good, really good, because Republicans should not want to ban abortion of by drugs or by mail because it'll make people unhappy. She actually says... These developments, the expansion of abortion pills by mail and the expansion of the uh, of, of telemedicine and, and drug pills being self uh, um, self um, um, not self prescribed, but but uh, self managed. This is all a good thing and that therefore it's going to be impossible to nationally ban this. And these this is a political gift to Republicans. Why? Because they should refrain from new restrictions on abortion because why? Because lots of people want abortion. And so the circular logic here is not, hey, we think abortion is actually a bad act. It's a killing. And therefore, you know, we should stop it. No, no, no. It's that, well, people want it. And this is a way for them to get it. And we don't have to really think about it. Or we don't have to find a way to regulate. It's not going to happen. But it's meant to give you. And then she goes on and she says, oh, yeah, you know, uh, starting in 2017. And there's a real problem for anti-abortion activists. No, 
I don't think so. I think what we're going to see is that there's going to be a number of problems with people receiving pills in the mail, whether they take one pill and not the second dose, whether they take a pill and they get sick, whether they're past the point where it's generally accepted to have these pills work, which is only 10 or 12 or 14 or 16 weeks, maybe could be 20 weeks. But, you know, people are going to take these drugs when they're further along and it's going to lead to major complications and there's going to be liability. And there's going to be a need to regulate. You know, I, I remember with Bridget Van Means of Thrive Nation, Thrive St. Louis and Thrive Nation, the leader there, we were talking with some legislators and we were saying, you know, one aspect of this is that if you have, instead of having tens of thousands of abortions in an abortion clinic, if you have tens of thousands of abortions happening at home, that's a lot of discharge into our sewer systems of biomaterial. And there's going to be lots of aspects of that that are going to be worth understanding. I'm not saying that's the biggest problem. The biggest problem is the death, the death of babies. And the um, the reality is the, uh, the, the risk to women is, I think, going to be higher. And we're going to have to find out. And then it's going to be, wait a second, if you want to protect women, don't you want to protect or regulate uh, the use of these drugs more specifically? So um, anyway, watch how often... You see these um, uh, these think pieces on social issues, never from the Democrats that you never see a think piece in political. that says Democrats ought to rethink their abortion on demand stance because it's really alienating normal voters. They don't do any of that. It's always one direction. And they always use what I consider the best term is a willing dupe. A willing dupe, meaning someone who is carrying the water for their side willingly and doesn't realize how they're uh, what they're what they're how they're being used. That's how I think that looks. But um, anyway, worth seeing, worth noticing, and uh, worth paying attention to. All right, thank you as always to the great Noah Dingley, our uh, producer uh, Ryan Height, and um, uh, uh, excuse me, Mason Mohan, uh, help us by associate producing. And we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. America Report on The Answer, San Diego.